Our second reading tonight is from Acts chapter 13, and we're reading from verse 13 to verse 52. It's on page 1017 of the Black Pew Bibles. Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. John, however, left them and went back to Jerusalem. They continued their journey from Perga and reached Antioch in Pisidia. On the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any message of encouragement for the people, you can speak. Then Paul stood up and motioned with his hand and said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our ancestors, exalted the people during their stay in the land of Egypt, and led them out of it with a mighty arm. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. Then, after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave their land to them as an inheritance. This all took about 450 years. After this, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. After removing him, he raised up David as their king and testified about him, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man loyal to me who will carry out all my will. From this man's descendants, according to the promise, God God brought the saviour Jesus to Israel. Before he came to public attention, John had previously proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Then, as John was completing his life's work, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not the one. But look, someone is coming after me and I am not worthy to untie the sandals on his feet. Brothers, sons of Abraham's race and those among you who fear God, the message of this salvation has been sent to us for the residents of Jerusalem and their rulers, since they did not recognize him or the voices of the prophets that are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled their words by condemning him. Though they found no grounds for the death penalty, they asked they asked Pilate to have him killed. When they had fulfilled all that had been written about him, they took him down from the tree and put him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and he appeared for many days to those who came with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we ourselves proclaim to you the good news of the promise that was made to our ancestors. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Since he raised him from the dead, never to return to decay, he has spoken in this way. I will grant you the faithful covenant blessings made to David. Therefore, he also says in another passage, You will not allow your Holy One to see decay. For David... After serving his own generation in God's plan, fell asleep and was buried with his fathers and decayed. But the one God raised up did not decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you, and everyone who believes in him is justified from everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. So beware that what is said in the, law, in the, in the prophets does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, marvel and vanish away, because I am doing a work in your days, a 
a work that you will never believe, even if someone were to explain it to you. As they were leaving, the people begged that these matters be presented to them the following Sabbath. After the synagogue had been dismissed, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who were speaking with them and persuading them to continue in the grace of God. The following Sabbath, almost the whole town assembled to hear the message of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to oppose what Paul was saying by insulting him. Then Paul and Barnabas boldly said, It was necessary that God's message be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and consider yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and glorified the message of the Lord and all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. So the message of the Lord spread throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the prominent women who worshipped God and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their district. But they shook the dust off their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Penny. And I'd be great if you can keep that passage open to Acts 13. We'll be looking at Acts 13 to 14 this evening. I want to start with a pretty basic but actually massive question. Um, How are we going to make the world a better place? It's a pretty big question, isn't it? How are we going to make the world a better place? Because we want it to be a better place, I'm sure. How are we going to do it? Plenty of ideologies and movements and leaders have come and gone over the years and promised to open up like a new chapter to our world history, make the world a better place. Communism, sexual revolution, uh, capitalism. I remember watching um, Obama's speech when he first became president. Does anyone remember that? Does anyone watch that? And, and uh, I remember like getting absolutely caught up in it. Um, yes, we can. I thought, yeah. Steal that from Bob the Builder. But anyway, um, did, did anyone else get really kind of caught up in the idea that maybe this guy, this leader, could actually bring our world to a new kind of place, open a new chapter for our world. I'm quite skeptical of these things, but I've just found it's, it was kind of working for me. That all these different movements and ideologies that promise to, to take our world to a better place, to open a new chapter, and yet they don't do the job. Communism and fascism left our world stained in blood. The sexual revolution just trivialized sex and made our bodies into meaningless playthings. Capitalism, well, many of us know each day the way it puts its icy grip around our necks and makes us work, 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 so that the executives can have their hands filled with meaninglessness. I think Obama's okay, but I wonder if he should change his chant or slogan to I thought I could or something. And yet in the midst of this world full of failed promises, there is one story that has been changing individuals and communities for good for 2,000 years. It's become actually the basis of many healthy nations. It's the story of one Jewish king named Jesus. He basically turned up on the scene and said, I am the next chapter for this world. 
And we've been reading in Acts about how his followers began to uh, share this news with their other Jewish friends, people from their nation. This, this week, we hear about how Paul and Barnabas take this news to the world. They're actually sent out on a mission. Hopefully, we can get a map up here. They're sent out on a mission from Antioch. They go to Cyprus and up into sort of southern Turkey and then back home again, sharing this news. Uh, there's a bit of a pattern that establishes as they go from city to city. Um, what happens is they, they speak first to the Jews, which kind of makes sense. It's the Jewish story. It's the Jewish king. But then, secondly, often the Jews uh, would reject this story, this news. And so Paul and Barnabas would go to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. So what we're going to do this evening is look at those three movements. The gospel going to the Jews, and then being rejected, and then going to the Gentiles. So, um, first of all, first point, uh, the gospel to the Jews, the Jews... For them, Jesus is the natural next chapter in their story. I'll kind of be looking at the the section that Penny just read for us, um, but I'm going to kind of scoot over it very quickly because there's so much to cover. When Paul and Barnabas got to Pisidian Antioch, they went to the synagogue. They were invited to address the synagogue. And when Paul stood up in front of them and looked out, who who did he look at? What were they like? I want to suggest that he was looking out at people who were desperately longing for the next chapter in their story. You see, they were a people who knew their history. They knew that there was a golden age back a few centuries for the Jewish people under King David. When King David was around, man, life was just good. Do you have any memories of times when life was just good? So so they had that memory And yet now, life was tough. The chapter they were in was really terrible. The chapter they were in was like one in a novel that you just, you you really don't want to read. Because it's kind of dark and long and nothing happy really happens at all. And yet through all that dark chapter, there there was a light. There was hope. Because there was a promise. God had promised that that he'd send a new King David to bring them back to those, that golden age. It would come again. It would be like a platinum age because it would last forever. He would wipe sin away completely. So the people that Paul is looking out on in that synagogue are people desperately longing for a next chapter, the promised chapter to arrive. So Paul looks out at them and, and what does he say? He says, it's arrived. Look with me at verse 23. Chapter 13 and verse 23. He's just told them their story from verse 16 to 22, ending at David. And then he says, verse 23, from this man David's descendants, according to the promise that you're hoping in, God brought the Savior, Jesus, to Israel. Really? Could, could it really be true? The Savior's come, but the, the one that was promised, may, is, could it be true? Certainly, Paul lays out the evidence. He goes on for the rest of the speech, laying out the evidence, just like Peter does in Acts 2. If Jesus has been risen from the dead, he's the king. The king has come. And so verse 32, it's kind of a bit like a summary in some ways. Verse 32, he says, We ourselves proclaim to you 
the good news of the promise that was made to our ancestors. The good news is the promise that you already know. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. Jesus is this great Psalm 2 king that was promised. What does this mean? It means the next chapter's here. It means the promise has come. This is exciting news. I don't think we can quite understand how exciting this news is for the people in the synagogue that day. They haven't heard about Jesus yet. This is the first time. Wow. What do you think they talked about when, when they were, went home from synagogue and had lunch? What's it going to happen? The new King Jesus is going to come with his army, set us free, change the world. I don't know. What's it going to be like? Certainly, they were excited. I think they would have felt a little bit like I did watching Barack Obama's speech. What's the future going to hold? But kind of multiplied quite a few times, I think. So this is the first step. Paul turns up to the city and he speaks to the Jews and he says, the next chapter of your story is, has arrived in Jesus. After the Jews, he would then go to the Gentiles, but, but I want to just pause here for a second and talk about, just reflect on how wonderful this is. I want to appreciate this for a moment. You see, this next chapter of the Jewish story, by faith it's become our next chapter. See, those Jews sitting in the synagogue that day Tough times, but looking forward to this promise. That's our promise as well. We've joined them in their next chapter. Part, part of the promise they were looking forward to was forgiveness. A pure relationship with God. Clean. Nothing standing between them and God. That's ours. So verse 38, look at verse 38 with me. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers... That through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. And everyone who believes in him is justified from everything that they could not be justified, justified from through the law of Moses. That's wonderful news. Full forgiveness. That's the Jewish story. That's the Jewish next chapter. And it's become ours. As well as that, uh, the Jewish hope, that the, the hope of the Jews has become ours. Now, I don't know what you think that hope is. Um, I was at um, a kind of a function recently, and, and the speaker said that uh, Jesus died so that we could go to heaven and be with him. Now, if you told that to a Jew, yeah, second kind of, a Jew at the time, they would have thought, what are you talking about? Kind of, that the hope is kind of totally out of this world. For a Jew at the time, their hope, their great future was very earthy. They were hoping for a new king on a real throne. They were hoping for social reform, for freedom, for prosperity, for good times of laughter and fun with family and friends. They were looking forward to being the rulers, princes and princesses over the world. Very earthy. And friends, their hope is our hope. Because their next chapter that came true in Jesus has become ours by faith. The inheritance that is laid up before us by God's grace is, is vast. I, I often think of it like um, 
like a farmer uh, taking his kids up, up a mountain and kind of saying, kind of look at the view. And just seeing these farmlands beyond where the eye can see, just rich and fertile. And the farmer says, it's yours. You can't even see it all. You can't make it out. You know it's good. Most importantly, it's yours. That's ours because the next chapter of the Jewish story is ours as well. And you know what's really caught me this week? We don't deserve any of that. You know, it's, it's not just that we are, we are sinners and that our, we sin more times than there are numbers of grains of sand in the world or something like that. It's not just that. That's absolutely true. More fundamentally, it's not our story. That's the Jewish story. It's the Jewish hope that God made to them, and yet we just get included into it. We, we don't deserve that at all. And so you know the word that Paul uses to summarize all of this? Grace. God's amazing gift to us. What a gift. Praise him. But I've gotten off track a little bit. Um, I get back to it a bit. <laughs> so first, going back to it, Paul and Barnabas speak to the Jews, and he concludes this, uh, this first great speech to them uh, by saying, the Jews in Jerusalem rejected this Jesus. They rejected their next chapter. Don't you do the same. And yet what happens? Well, that's our next point, that some of the Jews, some people don't want this next chapter. The first stop in uh, Paul and Barnabas' great mission, missionary trip was uh, Cyprus, Barnabas' home island. Uh, and what they did was they tried to speak uh, to a guy, uh, a proconsul named Sergius Paulus, Gentile guy. But this Jewish false prophet got in the way. So would you flip back with me to chapter 13 and verse 8? Chapter 13, verse 8. But Elymas, the sorcerer, that's the meaning of his name, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. How does Paul respond? Well, then Saul, also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, stared straight at the sorcerer and said, You son of the devil! This is the pattern we're going to see uh, time after time, stop after stop, that many Jews will respond to this good news, many will reject it. They'll oppose it. And Paul, right at the beginning, says this. That's devilish. But the same thing happens in Iconium, chapter 14 and verse 2. The Jews who refused to believe stirred up and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against their brothers. Chapter 14, verse 19 in Lystra. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and when they had won over the crowds and stoned Paul, they dragged him out of the city, thinking he was dead. And the same thing happens in Antioch, where this speech has just happened. Why? Look with me at verse 44 of what we've just read. Chapter 13, verse 44. <clears throat> the following Sabbath, almost the whole town assembled to hear the message of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, crowds from the whole town, that is, Gentiles, slaves, women, children, they were filled with jealousy and began to oppose what Paul was saying by insulting him. You've got to understand this. The Jewish people have been working for centuries at staying distinct. 
obeying God's law. We're not going to eat what you guys eat. We're not going to worship the idols you worship. We're going we're gonna to keep the walls up and we're going to be distinct and separate. The blessings that come from God are ours inside the wall. But then Paul's talking to all sorts of people, Gentiles and slaves and all sorts of people and saying the blessings belong to all of you. No, 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 no. That ain't right, they say. These are for the Jews. And so they respond, well, with jealousy is the word that's used there. And so how does Paul and Barnabas respond to that? Well, verse 46, let's read on. Verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas boldly said, it was necessary that God's message be spoken to you first. It's your message. It's your king. But since you reject it and consider yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. That's God's command. The Jewish people were always meant to bring the blessing to the ends of the, ends of the earth. Do you remember? The, this is the Bible story, right? You remember right at the beginning? Blessed creation. Everything's good. All goes bad. Sin. The world we know. God promises to bless the world again, take it to back there again. How? Through Abraham and his family, the Jewish people. They're meant to be a blessing to the world. They don't want to do it. They reject the story. And so verse 51, Paul and Barnabas shake the dust off their feet. Fine, you don't want to be part of it? Fine. But we're going to take the story out. We're going to take the news because that's what we were meant to do as his people. And that's where it meets us, because they take the story to the Gentiles, and that's probably most of us here this, this evening. But again, just let me pause for one moment. Because if their story has become ours, then verse 47 is about us. I have made you, church by the bridge, a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth when we get included in this next chapter of the Jews, we don't just get blessings, we get a job. We've got to take salvation to the ends of the earth. It's no one else's job, it's ours. And this next point should hopefully give us some ideas about that. Because the last point now is is that for the world, Jesus is the next chapter. For the whole world. That's the third point. Paul and Barnabas go and speak to the Gentiles. And when they do... It's like these guys suddenly change gears. The way they speak suddenly is changed. Because you see, um, Paul and Barnabas understand that for the Jews, they've got this backstory, their whole story of themselves, the Old Testament, and Jesus fits in really neatly as a next chapter. No problem. But for the rest of the world, they don't, really, they don't have that backstory. So Jesus doesn't kind of fit as a natural next chapter. He kind of meets their story at a bit of an angle. I've got to say, I don't think we, think we remember this when we're talking to people about Jesus sometimes. I think sometimes we assume they've got the same backstory as us, and so we kind of think, well, they must be wondering how to have peace with a holy God. You know, that you must be wondering how you can be right with a righteous God. They're not. Mostly they're not. Ed Stetzer is a um, church growth expert from the States. He's just been in Australia. He said, 
he found that Australians were quite spiritual, but they needed us to help them see how Jesus connects with their story. They don't get it. They need to understand. They need us to explain, uh, explain the story so they can make sense of it. And so we're just going to spend a moment looking at how Paul does that with some Gentiles in chapter 14. So Paul and Barnabas just arrive in this new city, Lystra. They see a guy who's been lame since birth. He can't walk. And they heal him. He stands up, just like Peter chapter 3. And the people of Lystra are like, Oh my goodness, you are Zeus and Hermes. We will sacrifice to you. Proclaim a party. That's basically what their rituals were. Big party. And so verse 14, Paul and Barnabas are like, Whoa, hang on a second. Read with me from chapter 14 and verse 14. The apostles Barnabas and Paul tore their robes when they heard this and rushed into the crowd shouting, Men, why are you doing these things? We are men also with the same nature as you. And we're proclaiming good news to you that you should turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea and everything in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to go their own way. Although he didn't leave them without a witness since he did what is good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and satisfying your hearts with food and happiness. Very different to what he said to the Jews, right? Very different to chapter 13. He basically says two things. The first is, there is one God, the living God. That is good news. That is good news to people who are worshipping a whole bunch of gods. And they've got to keep each God happy in their own different way or else one of them might sort of lash out and ruin their lives. Paul says, no, there is one God. He is alive and he is good. That's good news. The second thing he says is grace. This good God is willing to overlook your muddles and messes of the past. Now, friends, I want to suggest... If you're talking to your work colleagues about Jesus and you say, you must believe he's the Christ because he fulfills all the prophecies, they're going to be like, ooh, wow, weird. How about this, though? Friend, I see you've got a whole bunch of pressures in your life. You've got the work to stay fit, keep fashionable, your financial security, family. And each of these pressures kind of You need to keep it happy in different kinds of ways. And if one of them sort of falls apart, well, I can see that you get crushed and you get depressed. Maybe you want to say this in different words, but you are worshipping all sorts of worthless gods that don't love you. Can I point you to the one true living God who is good, who you can get to know in the person of Jesus? He's gracious. He overlooks the mess you've made of your life. Do you see what I'm saying? It doesn't quite connect in the same way. It's not like a natural next chapter like it was with the Jews. But if we're going to connect with our world, and if the job of saving the world's up to us, we've got to figure out how to kind of connect with people's stories like, like Paul does here. Because Jesus really is the next step for them, the next chapter for our world. Like I said as we started, all sorts of ideologies and movements and leaders have said that they can bring in the next chapter for our world. 
but they've failed. Like, history is a rubbish dump of failed ideologies and movements. Except for one story. The story of the Jewish King Jesus. What's going to help our world move forward? Well, it's if we as the church realize this. If we actually realize the significance that we actually have this next chapter in Jesus. We can, we've joined the Jewish next chapter. We have this hope before us. We are his people. If we realize that and live it out and bless the world and speak the message of Jesus in ways our world can understand. That's how the world, that's, that's how the world's going to become a better place. I don't know if we can do that alone. And so let me just read a few last verses to show how the story ends. Chapter 14 and verse 21. Paul and Barnabas have been through all these towns. But now, verse 21, after they had evangelized that town Derby and made many disciples, many very young disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, to Antioch, retracing their steps, strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them, it is necessary to pass through many troubles on our way into the kingdom of God. Don't give up, friends. When they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Friends, we need each other. We need the church. We need to help each other on this journey. Can we do that? Maybe we can do that over soup a bit later. I'm going to pray for us now, and then we're going to actually share in the Lord's Prayer before Leah leads us in some other prayers. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you for your outrageous grace. You are so kind to people who do not deserve it. Your people Israel just consistently were unfaithful to you, and yet you gave them your son. You brought their next chapter. Father, we thank you that though we didn't belong to that at all, despite our failings and our sins, You've included us in that, Lord. You've forgiven us completely and given us a hope we can't even get our heads around. We know it's good. Oh, Father, would you please help us to know the privilege of being your people? And then please help us to live that way. I pray, Lord, that you would use us for the sake of the world. Father, for the sake of the world, help us to love the people around us and to speak of Jesus in ways our world can understand. Father, we do want to be a help to them. We do want them to see and to come and join in this great hope, this new chapter for our world. So, Father, please use us. Amen.